I don't believe lying as a rapper. My jersey up too high in the rafters. I got a front team, new life and attractive. Who's sipping that bullshit and a flat? Everyone, I want you to meet Janelle. Hi. <laughs> I am part of a program called Propel, which I've talked to before on this podcast. And I met Janelle through that program. I got to hear your story. And I have people in my life who have the similar story of trying to create. So I thought it'd be cool to have you on a podcast. So thanks for joining the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love sharing what I'm working on and hearing more about entrepreneurs. So learning about your podcast was pretty cool and learning about what so many people are out there doing. Yeah. So <laughs> grinding, hustling. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's the funny thing about you. You're like, you're, you're one of the, the rare people where it doesn't seem like you're grinding and hustling. Like I am haggard. I am very, really. I'm so, maybe I should work harder. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so haggard. You have such a sunny disposition. I'm like, I wish I was so dead inside. Uh, <laughs> it's funny you say that though because i feel like because like my nickname as a kid was smiley and i feel like because i come across a certain way people just assume that my life just either isn't hard like they assume i have a lot of things to smile about which i do like i'm very grateful for a lot of the things in my life but they just assume my life isn't as hard as theirs and i'm like no i just mask all of my pain and agony with yeah. a smile because yeah. that's how I can get through it. I don't know if you've even heard like a lot of comedians. I do a lot of comedic work uh, as an actor and a bunch of other things. And comedians are some of the most depressed people and they use their humor to get through it. You know, oh, we will definitely get into this because I, uh, I used to work at a comedy club in Minnesota when I lived there called Acme Comedy Club. And uh, probably was, if not the one of the premier clubs. Uh, and it, it's just weird. It was just regular like space in the basement somewhere, um, <laughs> a downstairs space of a, a, a complex. Nice. But the top level comics would always come. But you're absolutely right. They either come from trauma mm -hmm. and, or they're just like Robin Williams, for example. You're just like, now that I'm older, I understand how someone like mm -hmm. that could be depressed. You're like, I get it. You see it. You see it all the time now. You're like, that's why You're, it's, it's easier. It's, life's easier that way when everyone's smiling and uh, so much easier that way. And you don't want to ever rub off your trauma or bad ex life experiences onto other people. Like if I can help other people smile and laugh through life, that makes me feel better about my own life, you know? Exactly. So <laughs> we can actually, we'll jump right into that. You, I, Part of your story is the fact that you are in uh, entertainment in a, in a variety of ways. Um, so about doing comedic work, right? acting. Um, at what point in your life did, because I feel like a lot of people, pretty much pro probably 100% of people, unless you're crippling shy, which, you know, <laughs> have a thought about being in movies. Or, you know what I mean? Like when you're a kid, you're like, I want to be in movies. I want to do comedy. Like, I think everyone's had that thought. At what point did you say, I can do this? Like, it's one thing to want it, but at what point were you like, I, no, I feel like I can do this? Gosh, well, it was more like growing up, it was a very intense desire, I would say. Um, it took me a long time to get to the point where I said I can do it. But that was mostly because, you know, as a kid, I would go to the movie theaters and I'd be on the edge of my seat in the theater. I was hooked and glued and i think just in the context of my family like my family is jamaican they're all from jamaica both my parents and you know um 
with Caribbean culture, like there's just not a lot of people in entertainment who are, you know, from the Caribbean. Mm. And there is this, dare I call it pressure, but more so just part of the culture, like to grow up and become an educator or go into the medical field. A lot of cultures have that. Um, I don't know what the word is for it, but stigma or it's just part of it, you know, Um, maybe it's because of the American dream and coming here and wanting to have a successful job. And that's what's considered successful. I know in Jamaica, a lot of educators are held to a high esteem, like they're, you know, valued. So that's a really good job to get as well. I have a family that was principal. So anyway, coming here, my parents came here in the 80s to America and became citizens. And then I was born and raised in South Florida, Miami, Florida. Um, They kind of didn't understand (laughs) why I wanted to perform or why I had this love for storytelling and movies. It just wasn't something that they saw for me. And your parents shape a lot of your life. Like what they can, can see in you and your potential, they will foster. And so if they weren't fostering this desire I had to become a storyteller, it was really hard for me to see myself as a storyteller. I didn't have that support. So, um, yeah, I would say that just kind of growing up, I loved movies. I loved Disney Channel. I loved watching all of those uh, kid shows and I just loved stories. And when I got to college, uh, my first year, I was a microbiology major <laughs> at the University of Florida. I was going to be a dentist. Fun to think about a pediatric dentist because that was all I could tolerate. I love kids. So I was like, how how can I make a medical field for me fun? And so I was on that route and I took an acting for non-majors class just because, you know, I always loved performing. I was in drama club in high school. I loved movies. And so let me just take one class. And in that class, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I just knew like being on stage is kind of where I felt at home. Like the most at home my soul felt was performing and getting to tell stories and be a part of them. It's just kind of where you know your soul belongs. And so um, after having that feeling, after going to therapy to figure out what the heck was happening with me and feeling so torn between this life that I kind of thought life was for living for your parents at the time. I thought that's what life was. Uh, That's what you're supposed to do with your life is do what your parents want you to do. So kind of growing up, going out on my own, being away from home and like, having all of these things that I'm learning, I'm really passionate about to an insane degree and then figuring out, Oh, life is for me too. (laughs) You know, I'm supposed to be happy. Um, figuring that out, it helped me make the transition and say, okay, you know, if life is for me and I know I've known my entire life since I was a child, that this is this thing I'm passionate about. Why not pursue it? You know, right now, all we know is we get one life so far. (laughs) So it'd be really, yeah, that's kind of when I realized like freshman year of college, that's when I made the switch over to a theater major for microbio. And that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to pursue what I love. And I'm going to do it for myself. And I'm sorry to my parents. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone who expected me to, who had a different uh, idea for my life and my future. I apologize, but I have to go after what I love. You know, it's it's funny when we talk about you see that a lot with uh, kids who have immigrant parents. Like it's always mm-hmm. like the stereotypical role of like doctor. 
scientist, but that's <laughs> that's literally because of movies, which is the funniest part about it. Like it's when I was growing up, whenever someone had a lot of money in a movie, doctor, lawyer, it was yes. it. bankers came later, but it was literally doctor, lawyer. Oh, I'm on a date with a lawyer yeah, or a doctor. It was always the same. So everyone, people, everyone's like, that's what you got to do if you want to make a lot of money. You're a doctor or you're a lawyer. <laughs> like there's yeah, other jobs. I wonder if there are parents that are like, we want you to be on Wall Street or, you know, like right, yeah. another field that also makes a lot of money. And honestly, actors, they make a lot of money. I think it's just the sheer percentage and the odds of becoming successful. But then there's also those actors who we don't even really like we see them on tv shows right. and we know their face but they make like you know they're middle class they make just yep. a decent wage getting by on co-stars guest stars you know they don't ever get really famous or maybe they do later on but there's a way to make a living yeah. as an actor without being an a-list celebrity yeah uh what's uh what's his name clint howard is the first thing that comes to mind ron howard's brother mm. who just plays the same weird mm. role and everything um <laughs> <laughs> when, when you were growing up, you said you were uh, in the movies at the edge of your seat. Was it what do you was it anything specific like watching people act and play characters? Was it, you know, honestly, it just looked like a lot of fun. It looked like so much fun. Like what of to this day, no shame. One of my favorite movie franchises is High School Musical. And mm. I think it hit me right. I think I was their exact target audience. <laughs> so it hit me in a different way. But I remember going to see High School Musical 3 in the theater, and I thought they the actors were just having so much fun. Yeah. And I remember being in college and seeing Hunger Games. I love that movie franchise. It's one of my favorites. I love dystopian society type stories. Um, any stories that make you question, like, what if society was like this? How yeah. would humans react? How would we behave? Love those stories. So um I would just be in the theater and be like, that looks like so much fun. The costumes they get to wear, getting to sing songs on screen, not in Hunger Games, but getting to just perform it. Just, I loved the energy that these performers gave. And I, it moved me so much whenever I saw a really good movie. I was like, I want to do that. I want to be behind a camera and move someone else with like uh, the way I turn my head or the way I say something. Like it can be so powerful. So that's kind of where it came from was just wanting to, have fun and do it and make money off of doing that. Yeah. I feel like that's something America's Senate, American cinema has uh, gotten away from. Like I'm going to sound like a, a, a grizzled old man, but uh, do you, when I hear about actors from the UK, there's so much more training acting in the U S became, well, I'm hot. So I'm going to write a script for my friends <laughs> and get in front of the camera. You have all these heartthrobs, you know, all the, all the hot people come to the U S like we're going to do. So you're like, I don't really, and I don't think people are fully exploring all the different avenues of stage, like like stage, for example, that being a destination or musicals or mm. improv or so as a kid, I'm seeing all of these things. And that's where I kind of I I was like, because oh, I, I, I still love entertainment, but that's where I'm like, oh, my God, you can do like I never was crazy about one aspect, but I'm like, no, this other aspect over here, there's Broadway yes. over there. And I think by 100%. pushing people into that, you're like, you you can then open more people's eyes. No, it's not just, you know, so, you know, this motion picture action movie. There's all these hmm. avenues I can explore for There's animation. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. And that's what I love about it. Like, I I definitely trained in theater and, and stage. um acting when I was in college but when I moved out to LA I am not a major stage actor like I kind of specialize more so in on-camera acting which is very different yeah. than acting on stage and I'm 
miss the training and I love the training. And anytime I can get into a, a scene study workshop here in LA, I, I do it. Nice. Um, but just those fields are so different. I have friends who act um, on stage all the time who do plays and musicals and theater productions. And if they get a film audition, they'll call me for help. And if I get a theater audition, I'll call them because it's just a, a completely different way of approaching each scene and approaching the work and approaching the craft. It's it's just different. Um, and I would say that theater actors are more malleable and flexible in terms of being able to do on-camera work, mm. whereas the other way around is harder because with theater, it's bigger. Mm. You know, you're performing mm. bigger. You're performing to an audience. You're performing to the back of the room, whereas on camera, it's so small. And it is easier to learn how to minimize what you're doing than expand. It's mm. just a, an easier process because all of that training is already there. You're just minimizing it. Whereas when you're expanding, at least in my experience, it's just a lot more to learn. And um, yeah, so I would say that that's why it's said that theater actors have an easier time doing on-camera work than the other way around that's such an amazing point you made uh and it's i like watching movies that seem like plays like fences mm. with Denzel. and i'm oh. i don't know a lot about stage like i used to you know when i was younger watch more of it but i'm like oh my god this is a play and then I, and now I, when i watch movies <laughs> i see certain monologues or scenes and i'm like this it's kid, different this is like a play this is like yeah that's probably what they're going for. this is the moment you know yes yeah. and i would say my the, the biggest lesson i learned when i came out here and got an acting coach specifically for camera was instead of because i feel like and this is a lot of actors will have their own opinions but i feel like when i'm on stage i am acting like i am portraying a certain emotion whereas when i'm on camera my job is to feel that emotion. So for example, mm -hmm. anger, if I'm on stage, I have to act angry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like my character, I'm feeling it too. But for the most part, I'm positioning my performance so that the audience gets the fact that I'm angry on yeah. camera. It's so close. All you have to do is feel angry and do nothing else. And the camera will capture all of that. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was the biggest thing I learned and it. It served me really well in a lot of the films and projects I've done. Yeah. So one thing I just noted, and we'll, we'll definitely jump into it. Uh, I think I'm sorry, this is triggering so many questions in my mind. Um, <laughs> when you made the decision of, okay, I'm going to follow this, you know, I know there's pressure to, to do the traditional route. Cause this is something I, I talk about with every guest I have is the decision to pursue something involved in passion as opposed to obligation. Mm. You said, uh, did you do the, when you said therapy, like it's a word, uh, something I'm scared of. I'm like, I don't need that. I'm, my family's from the South. So I'm like, I'm not, Why? I'm not doing therapy. No one, I'm not, mo I think it's amazing. Therapy is amazing. I feel like everyone should have a therapist. I, I think, wish it was more affordable and there's a whole another conversation. Yeah. That's, I think that's it. It's but the effect of money. And then I have to like, I'm, I'm lazy about stuff I put off like that. You know, like, oh, I don't do that. Uh, but if someone's like, yo, there's a therapist like down the street, it's like, it's open right now. You want to go? I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'll go. And I'll probably go there and, you know, spill everything. Yeah. But mm -hmm. when, what, yeah, what made you decide to do it? And, uh, yeah, what made you decide to do it at that point? And what role did it play in your decision to say, you know what? I want to do this. I want to act. I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I mean, I remember there was a therapy session and the University of Florida at the time, I hope that it's the same, but they essentially provide free care wow. for their students. Like therapy was free. Nice. It was part of my being a student and paying all that money, <laughs> but it's technically free, you know? Um, and I love that. I love that they provided that resource for us. So 
thank you to the University of Florida. But um, I would say that there was one session in particular where she had me think about my life and she said, okay, if you were to pursue this path that you know the people around you who love you and want the best for you want for you and you know that you're only doing it because of them, mm-hmm. if you were to keep going, where do you see yourself in 50 years, you know, and or 30 years? And I remember just sitting there in silence and thinking really long and hard. And this is if I were to become a pediatric dentist. And I told myself, I honest, I told her, I said, I don't see myself in 30 years. I, I know <laughs> myself, at least at this point in my, in my life, I know myself enough to know that I would have probably taken my own life at some point if I kept going. And that was such a sobering thing to say out loud to someone because it was something I had known would make me really unhappy but to admit that if I had kept going I would have resorted to something so tragic and to know that that was true that was really it just like hit me I was like oh my gosh I can't. I, if I see myself going that direction, why would I keep going? Yeah. The people who love me and want the best for me wouldn't want that. So that was kind of a big realization for me. Yeah. It was like, oh, wow, I don't want to be that unhappy. Uh, and if I know exactly what's making me happy, <laughs> I, I should choose that. I think it's just a logical choice after a certain point yeah. when you understand what it is you really want to do with your one beautiful, wild, precious life, you know? Um, choosing your hopes and dreams as long as they serve you, you know, as long as they serve you and they serve other people, that that was kind of, I guess, a turning point. That was a really important discussion I had with her that kind of led to me then taking some tangible steps to say, okay, what's the smartest way to go about this? It wasn't just like a drop everything, I'm changing the theater, like land on the stage, start singing a song. It was <laughs> like that. It was more like, okay, now that I know how I want to go about my life at this point where I'm young and I can make these decisions without as much of a drastic change to my current circumstances, um, what's the smart way to go about this? I went to the uh, academic office and I talked to the guidance counselor equivalent in college um, about my courses and what it looks like. And then I ended up not finishing at UF. I got my associate's degree. And I wanted to transfer to a school out in California. Like it was just trying to make tangible steps that would still make it smart (laughs) to proceed with wanting to be an actor. Because that's kind of a crazy thing to say, especially to your parents who expect you to be a doctor. You're like, okay, I'm going to be an actor and here's how I'm going to go about it. Not just saying I'm going to drop everything, but really creating these tangible steps around that change um, and going from there. How long have you been in L.A.? Since August of 2016. So about a little over five years now. Five years. Oh my gosh, COVID ruined everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is time anymore? Had you, um, yeah. yeah, about five years. I hit my five year mark in August, and it's November now. So I have never been. Uh, I've, I've traveled a lot of places, but I really never been to LA before. You moved there. You should come. Yeah, I gotta. I'm, it's sunny. I, I need to just do it. <laughs> I need to do it. Uh, when before you moved there for um. Uh, acting. Had you been there to visit prior? 
Yes. So I have family in California. So I've been to California a couple times and I always loved it. Okay. I loved coming out here. I loved visiting. I loved the weather. I loved how it made me feel. Mm. It just felt like this land of possibilities mm. in a way. Um, and I knew I just really enjoyed the feeling. And then my older sister went to USC out here. Nice. So I've been to visit her, went to her graduation. Um, that's the reason I decided I was going to transfer to a college in California because I was close to someone who had done it. Nice. Um, she transferred from the University of Miami. So I knew it was a possibility. And I think that's really important. Like seeing someone else do something helps you know that it's possible. Which is kind of another reason why I decided to pursue acting. Because it's like I'm not the first person ever yeah. <laughs> in the world. Like I know it is possible if I can see it being achieved by other people. What's there? What's like, um, you know what I mean? Like what's there to stop me from saying, yeah, go for it, you know? So what What was that first year like? Like you're in school. So <gasps> yeah, let's. Let's just break that down. Now, now it's time to act on the things you put out your list of steps, right? Here's the thing yeah. I want to do. What, what happened? Well, um, that was a very interesting year. Very interesting story. So basically I got my associates after I realized that I loved storytelling and I wanted to pursue that professionally. Um, I determined that finishing school in Florida wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do. I wanted to finish school and go to school close to LA, which was a hub for film and television. That way I could network with people who were going to end up working in the industry. I could go to a school that was more, t that had a bigger program for what I wanted to do. And so I decided to get my associate's degree. I switched my major to theater so I could take more acting classes so that as a transfer student, I had more experience in acting under the curriculum. Um, and then I decided to take a gap year and establish residency before going back to school in California. That way I could go with in-state tuition. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> cause I didn't have a lot of money. So, um, I ended up living in Orange County, which is just below Los Angeles for a year. I auditioned for BFA programs in person, uh, which was a nice experience to have. I learned what a credit card was. I figured out life on my own. I was 19 when I moved and I moved by myself. Um, I was actually a living babysitter with a family for a year nice. during that time. And the mom was very, very kind and allowed me to use her address. So I could establish residency. So um, all that time after the year was over, I'd gotten into Chapman University for their BFA screen acting program. And about two weeks before school started, after I had enrolled in my classes, I was ready to go. I was ready to do three more years of college. I found out that my scholarships didn't transfer from mm. Florida. I found out that all the scholarships that I had been using to cover my education at UF were only in-state scholarships. Mm. And so I had two weeks to get a bank loan so I can go to school. And at the time I was like, all right. I just spent a whole year here. Um, I'm going to finish school. So I'm just going to get a bank loan. Like I don't understand the problem, but I was 20 and I needed a co-signer mm. and I could not find a co-signer for my student loans. And so I couldn't go to school and that was heartbreaking. <laughs> it was gut wrenching. I, that was probably one of the lowest times of my life. And so 
I had to think fast because I knew I didn't want to go back home because what was there for me, you know, I was like right by it all. LA was right there. So I decided I was just going to pack up my bags, move to LA and start my career. I didn't really have a choice. I mean, I had a choice, but I didn't have much of a choice. (laughs) Um, It was kind of like either start working or go back home and do what, you know? So um, I found just timing worked out perfectly money somehow came like i had studied abroad right before i moved to california um so i was kind of out of money (laughs) but had an experience but anyway um and everything just kind of worked out for me in terms of just things happening at the right time i found somewhere to live i got an acting coach and a career coach learning the business and i started i just did a lot of work i remember i took like two weeks of constant notes i had carpal tunnel in my hands because i would sit there watching like panels on how to be an actor and how to market yourself as an actor and what is what is an agent and like all of these things i was expecting to learn in school i just learned on youtube (laughs) watching hours and hours of videos and having like a binder of just all handwritten notes back in front every page and then i started booking right away i told myself i wouldn't get an agent my first year like a dummy because I wanted to like learn the industry myself. And now I'd go back and be like, what are you, what are you doing? But um, yeah, I wanted to learn how to pitch myself for projects. And I did, I got into some interesting rooms and I talked to a lot of larger producers trying to pitch myself for their projects. That's not really how the industry works, but um, that's all why, why there's a learning experience. But did that. I also told myself I wouldn't work an unpaid job again, like an idiot. <laughs> Because I just wanted to see, like, how hard can I hustle and work and how far can I get on my own just for a year? And then at the exact year mark, that that's when I started reaching out to agents. I sent like over 100, I think it was 114 emails to 114 different agents um, with my headshot and all the work I had done all year long. I got really lucky and booked a ton of commercials, a couple of short films, and I had a lot of work experience. And um yeah, that first year was just nuts. I was really lucky. I think I, I think what we, pers- I think success in that industry, this industry is where hard work meets luck, mm. you know, like hard work and preparation. Yeah, that was that they call luck. luck the intersection of hard, like hard work and, pre- <laughs> yeah, like opportunity and, and preparation or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was very true for me because I worked my butt off. I was barely sleeping (laughs) because I was too busy trying to figure out how to best put myself out there as an actor and say to all of these people making incredible stories like, hey, I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm here to do the work and I want to be a part of a story. If I'm a fit for a role, like I want the opportunity to play that role and do it justice and let's tell a really good story. That was kind of like my mindset. And so anyway, I... At the end of that year of just like random bookings, I worked in production. I got to do a lot of PA work at the time. And um, I met a lot of people. Uh, I met a lot of people. <laughs> a couple of stories came to mind. <laughs> but yeah, we I, I just got really lucky. And I booked a lot of work and got to work with some really awesome people my first year. And then I got a rep. And then my first manager was incredible. And we kind of started going after the bigger projects that I had no access to without, mm. you know, an agent and whatnot. Yeah. So it sounds like things were going along 
going along well. You know, you get your, you got some steam going. What was now the, the other reason why we're here inside? Because as if this acting wasn't enough, that's a, it's a hell of a lot you got on your plate. <laughs> you you started a venture. Now, what all yes. all things acting going? Where did you get the idea to start a venture, and why in God's name did you want to add that to your list of <laughs> objectives? That you know what I mean? You yeah, know, I ask myself <laughs> this every day. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I have a new venture. It's called Jive. And, you know, the combination of all of my work in entertainment the past couple years, working on a lot of short films and experimental projects and television shows and whatnot, just being in the industry surrounded by such creative people has helped. But also, I something I didn't mention was I did grow up kind of in live events spaces. One other thing that I did for extra work in LA was I would be like a brand ambassador at different events and represent different brands. Um, when I was growing up, I was part of this youth advisory council where we kind of bridged the gap between government and the youth in the city. And I'd help put on events for like local community events. I did a lot of work with a charity organization and I put on a lot of events when I was in high school. My parents threw parties all the time growing up. So I was very familiar with like events and activities as a whole. And so I think the culmination of that um, is what helped me start Jive. So Jive is essentially a new live events and social experiences platform for real life community and making new friends. So um, I kind of had the idea in high school, actually, okay. like a, a, a very small version of this idea. And it's kind of weird how it just, I never did anything with it. Cause I, at the time I didn't think people would care. Like I, it just felt like, Oh, what a random thing to think about. You know, we all have ideas from time to time of things that don't make sense. But then when the pandemic happened, I just realized like how much I needed something like this. And I realized that there weren't a lot of companies out there that were actually helping people get together and connect in real life in an authentic way and off of their phone and off of the computer and, and really making friends. And yeah, when the pandemic happened and seeing depression and suicide rates rise, I was like, wait a second, why are all these companies that claim to connect people and bring people together? Why are depression rates so high? Like why, (laughs) why is it that these statistics are so bad if there's so many people claiming to help people connect. And then I did my research and I was like, oh, wow, there is nothing out there really like this. And this would actually help a lot of people, especially coming out of the pandemic. So um, that's when I started to get to work on it. And I had a lot of free time. Uh, The film industry was shut down. Live events industry was shut down. So I didn't have work. So I had a lot of time on my hands to fully flesh out the concept and and figure out what was swirling in my head. So yeah, explain that process, because I think that's a a lot of people may have... uh, the majority of people I talk to when I when I when I talk about starting business and ideas is like, where do I start? Like, I think that's probably the most common <laughs> question. Like, what, what do I even do first? How did you start? Yeah. What were the first things you did to get it from here on paper? Because you already you already taking notes. I know <clears throat> I know you do that well. Yeah, I took a lot of notes. <laughs> it wasn't anything that was crazy sudden. Honestly, it was one of those things where when the pandemic first started, I realized especially in a city like LA, like there, LA is full of a lot of uh, fakeness or, you know, people who will say you're, they're your friend, but they're really there for some monetary or career benefit. Right. Yep. 
Um, and it is hard in an industry where like personal and business life are so intertwined. Like the things I do for fun are how I make a living. Mm. You know, I would do this without making any money. So a lot of the people, like, like my friends, we have a lot in common because we love storytelling and then we end up on set together and suddenly they're my business partners. So it's, it's hard to tell who's your friend and yeah. who's there just for business in this, in, in LA in particular. <laughs> um, but anyway, so when the pandemic happened and all of the businesses were shut down, the industry was shut down. It was really interesting to see who stuck around, like who, you know, when there was no work to be offered, when there was no networking in the common sense to be had like who was there to just have a virtual movie night yeah. who was there to be friends and i honestly realized that i didn't have as many authentic friends as i wanted to have or as i thought or convinced myself that i had and i found that i wasn't really alone in that um a lot of people felt that way and it's not something people really talk about mm. and it's kind of an ego buster you know um so as these thoughts were kind of swirling and I was trying to figure out, okay, like, well, if things like meetup.com exist, right, which I never really enjoyed going to most of those anyways, like, why is it that people were so left to their vices? Like, yeah. didn't, weren't they making friends this whole time? And the answer is really no. So, um, yeah, I think it was just a slow progression of, okay, well, this random idea I had in high school, like, what if, what if this were real? You know, what if this had been real before the pandemic? Like so many people would be con more connected and have people to take them through that really difficult time. But OK, that didn't happen. What if it were real after the pandemic? What kinds of features would this app have? You know, and I'd start writing all these notes down in my phone at first. And I ended up with like so many random notes. I'd be going to the grocery store with my mask and gloves. <laughs> ready to stand in that long 20 minute line to get inside nice and i'd be just my my head would be swirling with ideas of what it would be like to have this app exist and it felt like the dream app to me so i was like well what would i want it to have and after a couple of months of that i ended up with like over 100 pages of notes on just like how every part of the platform would work what it would look like when you're signing up you know, what branding I wanted it to have, ways to market it, what we would say, and, you know, what it'd be like to post an event, things like that. And at this point, it was like, I think October that I had this. And I would wake up, yo, I remember I would wake up at like 5am. Like when, when I started ramping up the notes, when it was like every single day, and it was just like my whole, um, a lot of my brain energy was dedicated to like figuring out what this platform would look like. I would be waking up at 5am without an alarm because I would have so many ideas like firing in my head and I just wake up and sit at the computer and start writing. Um, it felt really weird. It felt like it's a very surreal experience, but at the end of, towards the end of the year in November, I sat my best friend down and I was like, Hey, I need you to just listen to me talk for about two hours. And <laughs> God bless her heart. And tell me what you think. And so she did. She sat there listening to me talk for two and a half hours, um, just sharing all my ideas. And at the end of it, she's like, Janelle, I'm exhausted. <laughs> but you have something really interesting here. I know that something like this would be so awesome for you to use, but like I would use it. My mom would use it. My grandma would use it. Um, 
and she knows so many people who could use it. And I was, you know, we talk about how, you know, unfortunately we lost a lot of people to suicide during the pandemic and suicide was an issue before the pandemic, especially in a digital time where so many people, you know, like we, we use our phones a lot and we get, you know, we have a lot of social platforms where we call people friends who aren't friends and we pass off, you know, chat notifications and texts as real conversations. And it's not, um, it's this temporary quenching of a deep hunger that humans have for real interaction. And so I just feel as someone who's been depressed, who's gone through suicidal thoughts, who's been there, that this is something those people and a lot of people really could use in times where they're feeling really rough, like just an option where they can actually meet people and show up and truly interact with people who care about being there and who want to make new friends and, um, yeah, I just think that, well, we decided collectively that this is something the world really needs, especially now, especially after a worldwide global pandemic. We need options. <laughs> we need options that aren't social media options that actually get you off of your phone and meeting people and having fun in real life, you know, in a tangible way that's actually fulfilling. So when we had that realization together, um, I got to work. Uh, like making it a reality yeah i uh i have a rant coming i think <laughs> communication now is just it's awful i uh i'm a very social person and i feel like i have all these chat groups and slacks and i think mm. it's now become like i don't think most people care not all but i i'm only say most but i say a lot of people i don't think they care about what's Anything other than what they're getting out of the chat itself. Like we're sharing important news just to, to be the person who shares the news and see people's reactions. <laughs> like you, you, you either like it's either a bitch fest where we're all complaining about something. You also may go, I feel you. I hear you. I don't think there's any real way to connect and be like, yo, I'm here for you through these. Like the way we communicate through them is just so lost. Like I just miss like just talking to people, like using the phone yeah. is so much better. And now it's just so impersonal that it's just like, this isn't real to me. Like, I can't, I can't say the last time I talked to you through Slack is the last time I talked to you because we're not really, we're not really talking and it's making everything worse, especially for like work. Like, I personally hate working from home. Like, I like having the option mm. to work from home. You can't tell me this is better. Like, if I was in an office and there were people close to me and I could actually have human in inter- most of the stuff we talked about at work wasn't about work. It was about like, Hey, how did this go? What's the show you watch? Blah, blah, blah. And you kind of like together yeah. and just say, it's just, it's just, yeah. So I, I definitely think there's a need for it. Um, as you, so when you start making it a reality, is this a mobile app and website? Um, yes. And yes and no. Well, a point that I wanted to make with what you were saying is, yeah, definitely with work and also with dating and oh, yeah. or just in general, right? I just feel like there's so many, com- like the point of texting is hopefully to get to an in-person right. meeting at some point. And we've just gotten in the habit of just endlessly texting people and trying to meet, but then it never actually happens. And and there's very little, uh, there's very few resources out there or platforms that are actually making an in-person meetup happen (laughs) Uh, and that are making it fun and not awkward because we're so used to texting that, you know, people aren't really that good (laughs) interacting in person anymore. I'm not good at it. I spent a whole year by myself in an apartment. (laughs) Like I'm relearning that too. So um, I'm 100% with you on that. 
And yes, yeah, so ultimately I'm looking to build drive into a native app you can download in the app store things like that um the past year has been interesting because that when i did that it was 2019 november of 2019 is when i decided to fully pursue it yeah no yes 2020 sorry 2020 november of 2020 and then throughout 2021 i was looking for investors so i could pay developers to build mm. an app uh, that we can download and um, it'd be on your phone and on a website, but ultimately that didn't work out. And so now I am building a web app. So instead of if some, it being something that you can download in the app store, it's going to be available via your browser on both your yeah. phone and your computer for now. Uh, the ultimate goal is native app. <laughs> I think it's just better and it aligns more with what we want to do big picture wise. But I think that's fine. We got to do what we got to do. When I was trying to <laughs> build know? my mobile app. It was, that was the issue. I was like, Oh, I want native. I want native. And then you realize how much money goes into it. The, the fact of the matter is just to get something out period. And then yes. see what people, see what I, people think. Absolutely. My career coach had this saying, she would say, you don't want to get into the trap of getting ready to get started to begin. Yeah. And that happens to a lot of people in general not just entrepreneurs or founders but you know it's the case with any project you're embarking on especially for people with perfectionist tendencies i actually can uh, (laughs) like myself i I can pull a lot of that from acting like i like Mm. watching pilots because Mm. everyone wants to be amazing immediately and so you're like overthink all this stuff and i look at a show and you're like None of these shows were amazing. Episode one, like most of the times, you're like, "This is terrible. This is like awful. Like I don't even, I don't even know why I continue to watch this." Is because, and it could be anything. It could literally be the first time The Simpsons were drawn to anything else. I remember the first time I watched one of the better ones I'd seen, News Radio. Uh, uh, I used to really love watching News Radio. Joe Rogan was even on the first episode. Like they had different, like the, the layout, the layout of the show was different. Literally, the set changed. Um, everyone had to find their flow together. And it just can gradually gets better. And I think that is the products we talk about iterations all the time. Like so many founders want things to be just right. So many creatives want things to be just right. If it's something you plan on making for a while, you got to just get it out there. Yes, it's going to hurt yeah. if someone goes, this is a piece of shit. Yes, <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> but you yeah. have to learn how to do things. You have to learn how to improve things. One thing to create. It's another thing to take that feedback and then go, okay what's next because that's when it gets hard if everyone goes yeah we love jive but you know feature a could do this and if feature b could do this we only have time for one now is where it separates you know the you know the people who do well and the people who don't do well and, and i think that's why you i take a little bit of anxiety down from the release and then more so about okay now that we're out can we plan how to move forward you know based on the feedback we're getting yeah i think that's a really good point i will also say that I completely agree with you, especially with the pilot episodes of a lot of series, it isn't. But in my experience, in both film and television, as well as, you know, founding a tech company, definitely start, you know, no matter what. Again, I'm the one that bought it up. <laughs> get ready to get started to begin. Um, trap. But I will say that a lot of founders and filmmakers, they do have their vision in mind. And I think that it would be really interesting if they were given the opportunity to execute how they know how. Because sometimes mm. executing a first version 
isn't necessarily a matter of time. It's a matter of resources. And I think that, you know, that brings up, you know, systemic issues as well, because a lot of, you know, filmmakers of color, for example, or just founders of color, for example, how they say the family and friends around uh, is harder for founders of color. It is in a general sense, because if there's not even resources to put something great out there to begin with, you know, um, I think that that has merit as well. I think it's worth saying like, yes, you can start with a crappy version <laughs> of what you want to build just to get it out there. But you're not wrong to say that that version doesn't have to be crappy. Oh, no, no. You're are. not wrong to pursue yeah. resources to try and make it the best it can be yeah. um, if you know how. Right. And it's just a matter of money. If you know, you know that your effort, in, if the controllable effort, like I know when I, I mail it in, I'm like, I should not have done this. This was <laughs> all right. But to your point, it's, it's, that's an interesting point because I feel like if you do, I feel like if we all had the, not all of us, I know I would, like be bells and whistles everywhere. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> I think... Mm. And I think that's what's, and I have gripes with Hollywood now. I think that's the issue with Hollywood. With the pro, the, these, these programs that are getting budgets, you're like, I don't need 3D everything. I honestly just need solid story structure. <laughs> like, I don't need this specific actor to be in. The money is going to the wrong Right. Areas. You're like, yeah. <laughs> so to your point, it's interesting. It's like, what if the people who actually truly want to stay to their vision get the funds as opposed to people who have stumbled upon this? Or, or just benefit from being in a specific group and then go from there? Cause that, you're right. There is a wall you do hit. Where you're like, all right, we don't have all the funds to get this out, so we have to do this. Well, how do we make the bo- the best of this? But then that also comes into yeah. road mapping. Okay, this first we didn't have the money. Now we have a little bit of money, which is again that could be another problem because I've seen companies raise a little. <laughs> Actually, a company uh, I used to work for was a startup, and it was that it was during pandemic, and it was a great team uh, developer. They're still going strong, but all the time I would see, okay, now we got a little change. Now what's the next feature we should do it? And you're like, yo, if they do if we do this wrong. We're screwed. Yes. I think the, the ability to build the way you want is, is a privilege to a certain extent. And, and then doing what you can with what you have after that. After, I, I just think it's important to realize yeah. that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so has at any point your priority changed, uh, in terms of one or the other? Adding or jive? <laughs> are, you in, are you in love with both? Or are you cheating on one with the other? Like I, I can't love two things the same. I always put one project way above everything else until I'm in the moment with another project. I'm like, oh, wait, I should do that. But m- most of the times I have like one thing that is way above all my other passions. Mm. And then, you know, but now you have two. You have two passions. Well, I have a lot of passions because it's not only that I act, but I also direct. Oh, there you go. I also produce, have three and I also have to work in production to make money <laughs> <laughs> to sustain myself. Um, not only that, but now I you have five passions. A, <laughs> yes. I also found a nonprofit organization, co-founded a nonprofit organization <laughs> called Playlists of Color. And that is a huge chunk of time and work as well. Have we not talked about that? Time. That's a whole other thing. We got to... <laughs> <laughs> I wear too many hats for one conversation. Let's be real. <laughs> um, I have to like stay focused on what exactly is the topic at hand. But um, yeah, I think the the problem is I say yes way too much. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I I would say I don't think about it that way. I would I don't think about it in terms of what project is more important than the other. I approach things with a general concept of, is this serving me and is this serving other people? 
yes or no? And is this even going to be a part of my life for that reason? From there, it's a matter of setting priorities. I think priority setting is a skill that I need to continue learning. I am not that great. I would say I'm trying so hard to be better at setting priorities because that determines where your time goes. And so when it comes to acting and drive, I'm so grateful to have agents and reps who are, you know, getting opportunities for me, both in film and TV and also commercials. But also, um, because I I would submit myself a lot of times, like I miss being able to be in it. I miss having the time to write thank you cards after a booking. I miss like those little things that really help your career. Um, And I've had to put a lot of those supporting tasks on the wayside and just focus whenever an audition comes in for acting because so much of my time is spent working on these other businesses. And when it comes to Jive, I do think Jive has a, I think Jive is a time sensitive business and a time sensitive company, mostly um, because of my why, which is I want to serve people, especially in a time right now where people are so um, we're just coming out of a pandemic. There's a lot of people who are still feeling a lot of loneliness and depression. Like those rates are still really high. We haven't recovered from all of the emotional and mental stress. I myself am kind of in the midst of feeling a lot of the backlogged trauma from this past year. Like a lot of it's starting to hit me now versus when I was in the midst of all of that. So all that said, I think that there are people to be served ASAP including myself. Like I want this to exist because I want to start making friends yesterday on this platform. I want to start going to Dodgers games with people on this platform. And I think that that's something that should happen soon. And so that being said, I do dedicate a huge chunk of my time to Jive because I want to just get it out there as soon as possible because I know how many, I know it will help me. And I really hope that it will help a lot of other people coming out of the pandemic with just getting out there, making new friends, forging new friendships, having new experiences out in real life and getting off of social media and into experiencing life in person the way it's meant to be experienced. And because I think that is a time sensitive issue, I decide to dedicate a chunk of my time to Jive. And I have put a lot of other projects, you know, projects I'm executive producing, things like that on the back burner, because I want to be able to give the right time and energy and attention to the project that needs it the most in the moment. But that being said, that doesn't mean there isn't one day per week that I try to get work done for other things I have put on the back burner. Um, but Jive is kind of full speed ahead right now. Yeah, you are a better person than me. I am terrible at priorities, <laughs> allocating time from one thing to another. I do. I like doing two things at the same time. Like, that's the beauty oh, of tabs. Like, here, here's the podcast stuff. I worry stuff. That way I do all two of them. Not well. <laughs> so, like, well, I kind of did two things. Um, I get that. <laughs> if if you could give anyone who's in your position or uh, uh, been the positions you've been in prior, so anyone who's starting a venture, acting, uh, any advice that you can give them, probably specifically someone like I feel like LA needs to hear this right now. Like I have a friend over there. What's up, Sean? Oh, the what's up, Sean? Uh, <laughs> one of my good friends who started this podcast with hey, me moved over to LA. He was just in the rookie saw on Hulu. Saw him in a scene. I was like, I know oh, him. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what advice did you give anyone who's in that position you were in when it's time to book work, rubber meets the road, or time to launch an app, rubber meets the road? <laughs> what do you say? What, or if there's anything you've learned, you say, you know what? Let me impart <laughs> some wisdom on you. 
Oh, um, well, whatever wisdom I can give. <laughs> I mean, I'm still in it myself, but, um, um, I would say, I guess this is kind of two parts. I want to say, bring your honest, most authentic self to the table. And I think that what that means in a practical way of a mentality is like, do your best and know that your best is enough and know that your best is all you can do. Because there are plenty of days where I have so much work that I want to get done that day. <laughs> like I, I tell myself all the time, I said it in my, my to-do list. I'm like, must be done today. Must be done tomorrow. No later. And the amount of times I push those tasks to the following week, and they should have, they really should get done then, but there's just not enough time in the day. I cannot, it's not possible for me to take care of myself and my health. I've had plenty of days where I just don't eat anything because I'm at the computer that whole day. And if I get up to eat, I'm going to forget this thought train that I'm on and I'm going to not write down this idea I had or not be able to execute this well. Or not be able to send this email before 5 p.m. because uh, in their time zone, whoever I'm sending it to. So there are plenty of days that are going to come by where you just can't get enough done. And you have to just accept that is your best. Because if you were to stretch yourself any further, especially for a prolonged period of time, because businesses are a long haul. You want to build a successful business that's going to impact a lot of people. It's not some one and done. Or if it is, if that's the structure of your business, that's awesome. Good for you. But for the most part, like I'm trying to build drive into a major company, a major company that serves millions of people. And it sounds crazy, but that's what I'm trying to do. And that is not something that could get accomplished in a day, in a month, in a year. So this is the long haul for me. And I cannot treat, I cannot, you just can't do more than your best. Like I can't, like there are some days where I can sacrifice sleep, but I can't do that for weeks on end. You know, there, I have to make sure I'm sustaining myself well. So my best is good enough. And that's my advice. It's just your best is good enough. And it might not be good enough for other people, but other people aren't the point. <laughs> you and your health and your ability to continue serving other people and serving yourself, that's what matters. So do your best and know your best is good enough. Well, that was awesome. And it is, this is going to come into play when you, you're growing Jive out. Like I've seen people just speak really passionately about things that they're starting. And you're like, I can't help but mm. be a part of this. I, I like, uh, and I think that's what's missing in our, the black community is that you see, I, yeah, I see the Zuckerberg, whoever, the Spanks, the Facebooks. That's great. I'm f happy for all of them, but it'd be cool to see someone <laughs> like you or someone from a neighborhood that, you know, that I grew up in kind of speak to a story that I'm very familiar with and just say, or just talk to me about a product or something that solves a problem that I've had or dealt with. And I'm like, holy, I, I'm all yeah. mine. This is, this is me. This is my whole life, you know? So, yes. yeah. <laughs> be, it'd be, it. And I'm, I'm also excited to see the people who have the power to enable that. If there's anything, and I think this is important to say, because I wish someone had told me this when I started. There are people who run the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are people who decide how the world works <laughs> and... Um, I have spoken to a lot of those people this year talking to investors and a lot of them don't realize the power that they have. And a lot of them don't have the problems that a majority of people in the world have. Yeah. And so why would they care about them? So I would say like, I'm excited to see the people who decide the fate of what goes on in the world, what companies get built, what problems get solved 
to start putting their resources um, towards solving those problems yeah. that don't just apply to them. Because at the end of the day, most of the people who shape the world don't look like most of the people in the world. Yeah. I, uh, some of the idea, yeah, I think it's good to have that conversation. Some of them, I think we're just going to have to eliminate. Uh, I've been watching succession. <laughs> have you? I don't know. I've been watching succession. <laughs> And I'm just like, nope. I think I've lost faith in everyone with money. That show is so. And having lived, I lived in Boston a while, so I'd like be in investment circles and just like randomly meeting people that like just by chance. You, I would meet people like, oh, my name is something Wellington the fifth. You know, and you're like, yo, you're real. Like, it's real. Like, whole family of bankers. Look, yeah, it's yeah. You're like, it's a. I mean, even one of the people I spoke to, I'll never forget this. I got introduced to an amazing woman. Um, and she loved Jive and she's not an investor herself, but she's like, she works for a company that's run by like a guy who's from a royal family. Oof. His family is like the 35th wealthiest family in the world. And she's like, I can introduce you to him. I never got that introduction, unfortunately. And I'm working hard <laughs> towards it, but she's like, he can throw an easy million at this. Mm. And I'm like, how nice. Yeah. How nice. And, and the fact that a lot of those people don't. They don't throw an easy amount of cash to something that can change the world. That's something that really concerns me. And um, and it, I, I shouldn't be spending a lot of my time trying to figure out how to solve these problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I should be trying to work on what I'm doing. But I just think it's really interesting and worth mentioning that that is part of how the world works. It was just, it's been a learning experience, this whole process um, of learning more and more about what shapes the world and trying to figure out my place in it and how I can help and what I can be doing. Nice. I like that. You will change the world. Have you, uh, before (laughs) we leave, I want to ask you, what's your favorite, do you have a favorite movie or favorite TV show? Oh, yes. My favorite movie is, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called The Hundred Foot Journey. No, I'm not. Um, it was directed by, I still don't know how to pronounce his name, but I think it's Lasse Hallström. I think he's a Swedish director or a Swiss director. Okay. Um, love his work. He did The Dog's Purpose. Oprah is one of the producers mm, on it. Okay. Of course. Love Oprah. Um, and it's just this beautiful story about food and culture and, um, and prejudice. It's about an Indian family that moves to France, mm. the south of France, and they build a restaurant a hundred feet across the street from a Michelin star restaurant. It's beautiful. Wow, I highly recommend it nice. for anyone. Has a Helen yeah. Mirren? Okay. Yes, Helen Mirren's in it. Yeah. I love her. So, nice. She's so lovable. Yeah. She's just a lovable yeah. human yeah. being. <laughs> yeah. I want to work with her one yeah. day. This has been cool and refreshing, and uh, it's. Uh, I feel like you're on the right path. Anything I can do to help, I will. Um, Ah, oh, thanks. I appreciate yeah, that. So, yeah, this has been fun. Yeah. I enjoy talking we, we about do it again. entrepreneurship. <laughs> yes, do it anytime. Just let yeah, me know. <laughs> we got to do it again. Um, is, if there is, now I'm going to give you the opportunity to shout out or share um, any uh, social media or tags or anything. How can people support or follow or what can they do now? Ooh, okay. Well, um, Jive is coming. <laughs> We're launching soon. So, you know, Go to letsjive.com. It's jive with two I's. So J-I-I-V-E. That's how you spell it. Um, and sign up for the waitlist. You're going to be the first, one of the first people on the platform to use it when we launch. Um, we really want to make just cool, fun events accessible to people, no matter where you are, how old you are. We want to make friendship accessible to people, no matter how much money you make. 
Uh, membership's going to be only $10 a month to be a part of this platform. So definitely sign up for the waitlist at letsjive.com. Go follow us on Instagram. We're at Let's Jive. Um, and if you want to collaborate, if you want to collaborate on an event, if you want to co-host an event with Jive, if you want to host an event on the platform early or just get involved some way, DM us on Instagram. DM us and let's make something happen. I'm so excited. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice. Thank you so much. Everyone follow. I'm going to follow. Uh, and I, I know a few people in LA were doing that one is around dating. So I'll reach out to them. I know they're about to release. So Ooh. I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll get more information on them. Side note, it wasn't Helen Mirren. It was Ellen Burstyn. So forgive me, but that oh, rhymes. Oh, in that yeah. movie. It rhymes, though. So, uh, yeah. You caught yeah, it right yeah, in yeah, time. I didn't want to think. I didn't know. Marlon Wayne's in that too. Love that movie. Uh, so yeah, nice. uh, Mel, that, that sounds awesome. I can't wait for Jive to come out. And when it does, we'll make sure to share it amongst our, our, our crew. Or followers thank um, you i thank you so much thank you, thank so you. much uh everyone moonlighters club we'll be back with more episodes thank you so much for listening and we can't wait to see you soon